Welcome to Real Estate Amigos Podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. I am your host, Hustos Poda, the mortgage broker, and I'm going to introduce you to my guys here, my co-hosts. Let's start with Armando Roman. He is our real estate agent, investor, and flipper. Hello, Armando. What's up, everyone? And then, of course, to my left, I got Mason LeBron, our insurance expert. What's up, Mace? How's it going? Thanks for having me. All right, boys, so we are here. It's been a long time coming, and we're finally here. And um, there's a lot of podcasts out there, and everybody's going to wonder why should we watch you. And the reason being is because the com- combined years of experience we have together is, is substantial. So we're going to basically chat about real estate in a way that's friendly, informative, and easy to understand. So uh, let's talk about our backgrounds real quick. So I'll start it up with uh, Armando. Armando, how long have you been doing this, my brother? So I've been doing this for about 17 years, amateur and professional. I'm not a boxer. Talking about real estate. So uh, yeah, just basically out of college, got into uh, multifamily investing, ended up selling. Years later, did it again. So I took a couple chances at it, and then eventually I took it serious in 2017. Started diving into it. Um, and at some point, I realized I was buying multis, fixing them up, and keeping them for rental income. At some point, I realized, okay, let me get my license so I can get into the houses a lot quicker and understand the game a little better behind the scenes. Should I be diving into this? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then at that point, um, started helping clients as a realtor, saw as a way as helping my community, but also making a good amount of money. Eventually that organically led into flipping houses and here we are today. Sweet, and I know I met you in 2020. That's when we started working together and we've had uh, nothing but success and so we've been working together. We're a great partnership, so um, you've been doing great, my brother. Appreciate so, that, bro, thank you. Mason. Tell yes. people, how long have you been doing insurance? Absolutely. So I went from the banking industry to insurance in 2012. Um, started more on the service side, which in the, in the insurance industry, it's a good thing when you learn the service part of it, right? Because you have to know what you're selling and how the changes work and how to process different things. So um, started on the service side and pretty quickly knew um, I'm more of a social person, networker, um, transitioned over to sales and since then i've been doing uh insurance sales and it's everything from personal lines to commercial and life insurance awesome totally random but what was your average policy on a single family back in like when you first started how Um, cheap were they i would say seven to nine hundred dollars give or take yeah now now he's quoting me (laughs) thirty (laughs) five hundred so um yeah, so no, so um, I've been doing this for 20 years this July. So I started off as a lender, a direct lender back uh, for Countrywide Home Loans, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, and it's funny because they were the number one retail lender um, in the country back then. Wow. And now as a broker, which I decided to go to the broker side back in 2015, because when you're working as a lender, you're limited to your guidelines, your interest rates, your rules. And there was a time where I was working with a lender that the starting credit score was like a 640. Mm. And I was like, man, everybody, I'm getting 639 and under. I couldn't even do so. I had to refer them out to other people in, in our circle, and I was losing business. So I became a broker in 2015. And let me tell you, I'll never uh, go back to being a, a direct lender. As a broker, we just have so many more options. And it's cool because I was with the number one retail lender when I was doing lending. And as a broker, now we're signed up with the number one wholesale lender. So nice. I'm always tied into the number one lender in the country, which makes it a, a whole lot of fun. Question. Question. What is the lowest credit score 
that you can realistically get someone approved for? So with the FHA program, um, they don't set credit scores. It's the lenders that do it. So okay. there are lenders that will go down to about a 550. Wow. It's just hard because usually when you have that credit score, you have a lot of uh, derogatory credit and the automated underwriting system won't give you the approval mm. on that credit score unless you have maybe two of you on the application or some compensating factors. Um, on average, I think more realistically, 580, you'll have a little bit of better luck, but okay. it's a world of difference once you get to 640. 640, you get elite pricing, and that's when you're going to get the best of everything. Because even you know okay. 620 to 639, you can do the mortgage, but the pricing's not going to be as attractive. I see. Yeah, so um, let's see here. We want to go into the the world of real estate right now, what the hot topics are. And um, Armando, since you work with the more fun part of it, you work with the actual houses, talk to us. What's going on in the real estate world right now? What's hot? Yeah, so um, I, I would say right now it's definitely, it's been like this for a while. I think every realtor is going to agree. It's basically properties that can, anyone, if it's any mold, right? Older folk, older people that can't walk upstairs. Um, young people also like you know one floor living, so ranches are very popular. Multifamilies are very popular because of that um, income to help you with the mortgage and your expenses. And multis are just a great investment vehicle altogether. So those are always going to be extremely popular, especially you know like I said the past couple of years. So as a fix and flipper, which is the angle you know that I'm taking with this episode here, is basically you want to be able to get into properties that have a, a quick out where you have a nice exit strategy. And these are these are perfect for it. Um, and then as far as like what we do inside as a fix and flipper, you know, as uh, cosmetically is the color, the color schemes, you know, you're seeing a lot of greens, a lot of the darker reds like burgundies, natural wood colors, um, vanities, all that. So you're seeing a lot of these patterns coming, you know, generally it starts like in LA, which, you know, people have a lot more money there, like just trendier in general. And then as well as New York City. And then that slowly starts coming down to the other states and the other areas here in Western Mass. We're just getting into it now, but they've been at it for a while. And then um, also something else that's pretty hot now is um, as a realtor and investor, you got to you know stay on top of it is where, where are the hot pockets? Where are people looking to like um, buy the houses right away because there's a need in the market. So it's finding out you know uh, what those pockets are, you know, like Hampshire County, for example, there's some really good hot pockets now, but Springfield right now, you know, it's not so hot. If you're doing a fix and flip, you got to understand that you're going to have to hold on to it a little longer or you might have to spend a little bit more money or you got to put more work into your marketing. And, and why is, I'm sorry to cut you off, but why is that sure. in Springfield? Why is Springfield not as hot right now for, for that? You know, that's a very interesting question. Um, I think there's a lot of people doing projects in Springfield. Um, even though there's not that many available in the market, for some reason it's just not super hot right now. And I think it could be with the fact that the interest rates, you know, are, are higher. It could be less desirable for whatever reason. So um, sometimes you really can't pinpoint exactly why it's happening, but you just got to understand where the market's uh, shifting. And it might come back later. So, you know, like I said, the market kind of shifts back and forth. But right now, you know, I think you just have to know what's going on and adjust to that. Can it be a saturation of like just people wanting to buy flips? And I just feel like on almost every street, there's either an abandoned house that's being purchased by a flipper or there's just a lot of people looking to get into the flipping. So do you think that has any effect on the market? You know, not really because there's just not enough inventory. Um, and as far as people getting into the game, I think it just makes it more challenging people that are fixing flippers. But as I always tell people, if you're the best at it and if you're um, just really staying on top of your game, um, you know, you shouldn't have to be afraid of the competition. I think the competition just makes you stand out more. Nice. Okay, okay. Some good stuff there. What's going on in the insurance world uh, in, in these days, Mason? Oh, 
nothing pretty um <laughs> there's a lot of shopping going around that's for sure um again just it's the shopping's fueled by rates right and rates are kind of fueled by rebuild values um cost of lumber cost of labor um so a lot of people are feeling the pinch um pricing has gone up i would say on average anywhere from 10 to 25 percent we've seen increases and um when we do try to shop it around, for instance, my agency, we have 10 different companies. So we're always, you know, give the, the customer the benefit of the doubt and shop it for them. But we're, we're noticing most companies are coming in the same, if not higher than where they are currently with their carrier. So shopping is a big thing right now. Um, and I think t to really get a price difference, you're either, um, you know, they, they, there might be some... Um, disservicing to customers when you're able to find them something that's a lot cheaper just because it, it's such a hard market right now wow i know in the mortgage world the hot topic right now which you guys probably have seen over the last week or two is uh down payment assistance grants from state subsidy programs and stuff like that um, which is great it's always great to have these things to offer to help more people but the thing that i want to touch on is the fact that these are small boxes that we have to try to fit people into. Reason right. being is there's income limits. There is, depending on you know what area you're buying in, there's median income limits. The debt-to-income ratio for these is super low, and with debt being at an all-time high, it's almost like trying to put a square peg in a circle, you know? Um, so it's great that those things are out there, and it's very, it is a hot topic, but we definitely want to make sure that we look and see if you fit into that box and if you don't then we want to come up with a great plan b so that you can still attain you know home ownership what's what's the big new one now that they're giving away of all this money so everyone's right now is talking about the mass housing loan which is a 25 to thirty thousand dollar grant which is great it's being rolled out in the next week or so i believe is that the same as mass dreams or is it totally um, different? it's different it's the same okay. company but it's a different kind of grant and um, we'll definitely dive into um, specifics on that once it's rolled out in, in a future episode. And it's important, again, for us to put that out there so people can know, but I don't want people to think that it's either that or nothing, you know, right, right, because right. They, at the end of the day, like I said, it's such a small box to try to fit into, but that's like the hottest thing, you know, right now in the mortgage world. As I like to say, I'm not a lender, but FHA is king. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, so do, yes. do you feel you get a lot of callers that call in inquiring about that, but you're able to find them another product anyway? If Yes and no. So this actually is a good segue into the common misconceptions. So mm -hmm. although it's a hot topic, it also flows into the common misconception because I think a lot of people, they hear about the twenty five, thirty thousand, and they have no money. Right. So if they call to inquire about that program and they don't qualify for it, then it's usually a OK, then I don't qualify because I don't have anything else. Now, if you have the client that does have some money saved up, let's say they have three percent down on the purchase price and they're working with a realtor who's a green negotiator and we collaborate and communicate, run the numbers before we even put in an offer. A person like Armando, who's a, a great negotiator, can know what he needs to ask the seller um, back for. So to yeah. answer your original question, though, um, yeah, a lot of people, I think when it comes to this program, in particular when they call to inquire about it and they don't qualify it's usually there's no plan b for them and that's kind of what i want to make sure people are aware of before they start looking into these types of programs it's like if you don't qualify let's talk about that getting that blueprint together mm -hmm. so that you can know how okay what's that be what's what's another avenue that i can take uh what misconceptions uh do you see armando in the real estate side in this current market yeah again investment and fixing flips in particular 
people just assume it's easy because it's all over HGTV, right? And on TV in general. Property Brothers. <laughs> so they think it's easy. Uh, and then you have people that think it's there's no risk to it. And then you have others that just want to see it as a gamble because um, they don't run the numbers. Numbers is everything. So prioritizing anything else before numbers, it's just crazy. So pr prioritize, you know, do they like the way the house looks themselves? They want to design it the way they, uh, to their taste. And like all these things are secondary or third, or third things. Prioritizing numbers is number one. Um, and I think a lot of another misconception is people start working when they close on the house. Not realizing that, you know, every day that you have this property, the clock is ticking, you're spending money and your profits, you know, starting to count down. So you need to start working be way before you go to closing. And that includes um, talking to contractors, getting estimates, uh, finding out you know, your hard money terms, creating a, a, a timeline for your project, spreadsheets for, to, um, to be able to track different things, including expenses. So it's all these things. And then the, I would say the last misconception that I want to talk about right now is people have no urgency and they feel like there's no urgency needed. Like I said, hard money is not cheap, it's expensive. And people don't realize that um, until, you know, those payments start going out and then you're like, okay, wait a minute, I got I to gotta get this finished, I got to get this sold. So it's having a lot of urgency, not at closing, before closing when you acquire the, the rehab property. What kind, of, what kind of interest rates are you looking at when you're talking about hard money? Uh, typical right now is like 12%. Wow. Which, as you can imagine, that's pretty high. Oh, yeah. And these are interest-only payments. So again, you get nothing out of value from that yourself. That goes strictly to the, the lender. Armando, what's your process look like um, when you are potentially closing on a flip and you have to have contractors going over for estimates? Because I think one of the, the most difficult things is getting contractors who want to work, one, and two, getting accurate estimates. I think number one is once you have one, keep them. Okay. Try to figure it out. Treat them good. Treat them good. Pay them on time. I think yep. a lot of people struggle with that, even when they have the money, which is crazy. Yeah. It's just, you know, if they're worth getting done, pay them right away. Keep these guys on board. But as far as start starting off right, because a lot of people out there that want to get into it, it's basically start asking your friends, family, who they know, meeting with them, going to their projects, getting feedback on them, going to um, getting pictures from them, work they've done, preferably going to their projects, and then bring them on to you know to the flip. Set up a date with the realtor who's representing that um, that rehab property or that property that you're trying to acquire um, to sell you know for a profit after you do all the work. Get them to the property. Get all get estimates so that way you know that you know what is the average, what's the real cost of this project. When you're getting multiple estimates, you can determine that. Nice. Yeah. No. That that definitely makes sense. Uh, Mason, misconceptions on insurance. Yes. Good one. Um, so it, it's funny. I find myself a lot of times explaining to clients how the escrow process works, mm -hmm. even though I'm not on the lending side. Um, so one of the biggest misconceptions is. I feel like I'm double paying for insurance, right? So just so you know, when you're buying a house and it's escrowed, the insurance for the first year is collected at the time of closing, right? And we put that on the binder to be collected. But then your first month or your first mortgage payment, so month number one, you're paying your mortgage, you're paying taxes, and then you're paying insurance again, right? So it almost feels like it's double dipping on the insurance. But the, the biggest thing I explain is that money that the bank is collecting for the next 12 months is gonna pay for this policy when it renews in a year, right? So if the renewal is 1200, we send that bill to the bank, the bank already has that 1200 set aside to pay the renewal. So you're not paying insurance twice, I promise you, it's go with the process and you'll be fine. 
Yeah, no, that's definitely true because on the mortgage side, you know, no matter how much we try to explain everything, there's a lot that goes with it. That is definitely one of the things that I hear when people say, oh, hey, I paid my insurance binder for the year. So what's my mortgage payment going to be? Because they do think that the insurance portion of it is going to be deducted. And it's not, as Mason said, once you make that first payment, you're already paying insurance for year number two. Yeah. As far as misconceptions on my end goes, and it's funny because it ties into the hot topic was, a lot of people, when I go on social media and I see content creators that are loan officers or realtors, they say, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions when buying a house is that everyone thinks you have to put 20% down and that's not the case. There's lower down payment options, which is true. However, I feel that a big misconception in this time when you see all these things about grants and everything is people thinking they're going to buy a house with no money. Mm. You think they're going to get the twenty-five, dollars $30,000 grant, which doesn't happen until the day of closing. So I, I turn over to you, Armando, as a realtor you have a client they're pre-approved you go to make an offer on a house what is it that they have to have in order for you to bind that offer if it's accepted right back to what you just said right before that line it's like people thinking they can buy a house with no money is it's just crazy to me because when i celebrate one of my daughter's birthdays to get the biscochera <laughs> to, to do to start the process i gotta give her a nice deposit right yeah. to, hold, to hold her time down um and the materials and everything so you know, I don't know how that's translated into I can go out buy a, get a free house. I think it's all this overpromising that a lot. I think a lot of people get into. But um, yeah, I think as a realtor, I think number one is you got to be honest with your clients. I think sometimes we sell them too many dreams, which you know it's great. We can we can get we can accomplish the goal. But I think we need to figure out okay, how are we going to get there? Maybe right now, if you don't have enough money to come up with your own closing costs, it's a little challenging. I know you know things have slowed down a bit, but it's still challenging to do that to ask sellers for closing costs, especially if you're going for a house that's kind of hot in the market. So I think it's maybe having those real conversations where like, okay, listen, I know you want to try to go for all these properties. You don't have enough money for, for your closing costs. Why don't we take the next two months, next three months, try to save up as much as you can. Maybe you make a decision where you maybe you move in with back with your parents for a few months just to reach your goal, right? Because it requires some sacrifice at times to get, yeah. get to that next level. And then we can we can stay in touch and we can start with actively shopping again in a few months once you have more funds. So I think it's just being honest with our clients and communicating. Yeah, no, absolutely. So again, you are going to get these grants, let's say, in, in this particular scenario, but you have to have that money for a deposit. So you have to have a money for a deposit, which is going to range anywhere between three, $5,000, sometimes yep. upwards of that. If you're in a bidding war, you have to show your best hand. The second part of it is you have to do inspections. You have to pay for an appraisal. So if you have no money, it's going to be very difficult, even if you are going to obtain the grant, because you need that upfront money. Nothing is free. Right. And I think that... I don't have Although, a problem. Go ahead. They do say the best things in life are free. <laughs> All right. Never mind. So... Although, only, only when Mason gets his lunch is free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jersey Mike's. I'm getting hungry. Um, so that's the thing. The the whole thing is um, you want to definitely put out these resources to show what's available out there. But then you got to be real and say, listen, you are going to need some money up front. Yeah, facts, good facts. point. So let's see. So Armando, what do you got for any success stories right now for us? You know, I have more of a case study. I Go think we can it. save the success stories for later. But um I think we always show the positive or the the good outcome initially, but then we don't always talk about the setback. So my first flip, and again, I have, you know, I have different situations that have, that, have, that have come up since, but my first flip was in Gresham Street in Springfield, Boston Road, if you guys all know that area. So I did a, um, it was a kind of a hybrid new construction. The foundation was already done. It had a, um, the basement was not, you know, has not poured yet, concrete, and also it was a shell inside. So I had to fill in the whole property. 
So one of the issues that I run into uh, was I didn't really check all the boxes. So it's nice to have a, um, a checklist, right? So you can kind of get through your project before you get to it, if that makes sense. So you want to figure out what you're missing so that you're budgeting for every single situation um, at, before you even close on the property. So I didn't have that at that time. Those systems and those processes, which are very efficient and important. And I didn't realize that I needed to figure out where I'm going to get my water. Where am I going to get my sewer? So I dodged the first bullet because it, you know it did have public sewer right into the street in front of the house. Yeah. So we just be able to plug it right in for you know a couple thousand dollars at the time. So that wasn't a huge killer, but the killer was we didn't have water. And to get the water, to cut you know to make the uh, long story short, we needed to spend about like thirty five thousand dollars. Wow. To get the water into the street because you know also the the drive the long um, street wasn't paved. Okay. So we had to cut paved the entire street. So we avoided that by just getting a um, um, a well. Okay. And that was about like $13,000. They had to dig in some more. It was a little more expensive. So it was very, it was a lesson that I definitely learned and that, that killed most of the profit. Um, unfortunately, other things that came up, again, just not being prepared, not really knowing what I was getting into and maybe not partnering with a very experienced investor at that time. Um, so all those things have a lot to play into it. But that was a while back. So since yes, then sir. you've learned it now, you're mastering your craft. Oh yeah, now we're doing great. You know, prizes are coming out good. We're profiting and we're hitting our numbers. So it's just doing it. You know, it's one thing to see it in, in a book, to listen to a podcast, which, which are great. It's another thing to take action. Yeah, absolutely. On the mortgage side, success stories that I wanted to share were being paired up with the number one wholesale lender in the country. What they're doing right now is they they don't have a split with the appraiser. They actually pay the appraiser 100% of their fee and they give them their payment when the appraiser uploads the report. So what does that mean? The appraiser sets the inspection date and let's say it's next Monday, they go out there, they're turning in that completed appraisal report that same day. No one else is doing that. Where that's that comes, huge. That, that's really huge. Where that comes in handy is, I got a phone call from a listing agent a couple of weeks ago, said, listen, we have your buyer, they're making an offer, we want to accept it, however, it's we have to close on on February 13th, I believe was the date. And it gave us a two to three week window. I can't remember the exact uh, time frame, but we were able to I was able to say yes, we can do it because I knew that the appraisal will be back the same day. And sure enough, appraiser went out there, turned in the report same day, no repairs were needed. We were able to get that thing closed as promised because of the, of that feature that that our lenders doing. Wow. Good stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, so aside from that, Huso, yes. how long, aside from that premier lender that does that, how long does it typically take for an appraisal to come back? In a slower market, once they go out and, so I, sh I should backtrack, in a busy market, when an appraiser is going to contact the agent to set up the appointment, sometimes there's a waiting period of two weeks just for them to get out there. Then they get out there, it could be another week to two um, for you to get the report. Uh, during slower times, they do get out there quicker. And other lenders that don't have that, that set up, they're probably taking about a week to a week and a half to, to turn in the report. Wow. Question for you, Husto. So we have a VA client right now. Yeah. VA law. Um, how is that process? That was on, the, I believe, the appraisal a couple of days ago? Yes. So that's a great question. So unfortunately, the VA is the only program where the appraiser is, the, uh, they go through what's called the VA portal. They don't go through the appraisal management company. So every lender out there has established what's called an appraisal management company. That's where you put the order in. That company selects the appraiser at random because 
we can't know who it is on the origination side mm. um, so that we're not able to reach out to the appraiser. So no one knows who the assigned appraiser is except for the listing agent. right? Gotcha. So the VA doesn't go through that, that setup. So unfortunately, what happens with the VA loan is you will get the order assigned through the VA portal, but then they technically have up to 30 days to complete the whole report. It is a slower time right now, although the three of us are busy. As an industry, it's not as busy. So I would expect that thing to come back within the next week or so. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah, Mace, you got any uh, success stories you want to share with us? I do. Yeah, a good one. Um, especially in this this area. So a lot of homes are pre-1920 construction, <coughs> even some 1899, 1897. Um, so I had a client uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, home was built 1910. Most of my carriers, which again, I said we have 10 companies that we represent. Most of the carriers were declining based off year of construction. And... Um, Again, I, for this particular customer, I uh, went went old school on them, and I picked up the phone, called the underwriter at one of my carriers, and kind of just showed them the, the case, right? So I, I sent them the Zillow link. They were able to see the house has been completely updated, redone, beautiful house. It might have been a flip. I'm not 100% sure. But um, I was able to get a manual approval based on the year construction, and I think that um, relationships in this, in this industry is huge. You know what I'm saying? Because, again... Just going based off the online quoting system, they were all declinations, and then I uh, I was able to pick up the phone and get an approval from an underwriter, so that was huge. Helped the customer tremendously. Awesome. Wow. So yeah, so other agents probably couldn't do that because maybe they wouldn't pick up the phone and call the underwriter. So High possibility. Who you work with matters, people. There you go. Yeah. Wow. And um, you gave us your case study, Armando, which was great. Um, so... What I want to talk about is uh, in the next few episodes, we're going to be covering things in detail. We're going to have a full episode on flipping. Armando's an expert at it. I want to go over all that entails with that. Also, insurance when it comes to the flips because it's a temporary purchase and all that stuff, how that gets affected. We want to talk about um, different programs, grants for every state available. Um, I'm only licensed in Massachusetts, but you know I want to put out there the resources in the show notes in future episodes. Uh, we have some great resources that show you every single state that offers down payment assistance. So we got some good stuff cooking for our future episodes today. We just wanted to introduce ourselves and go over our backgrounds and basically have you guys... Um, know that we're also coming up with a voicemail phone number which we'll have ready on the next episode so that you guys can start calling in your questions and um, we'll play them on live in in that future episode and, and answer your questions so gentlemen anything else uh any closing thoughts um yeah uh like comment and subscribe to our channel thank you <laughs> <laughs> follow me on instagram flipping roman so flipping roman on instagram the show notes for the podcast will have uh, all of our contact information and all of our platforms where you can reach out to us individually and um we're definitely going to put that together and we are going to be putting out episodes every tuesday so you guys will get fresh uh up-to-date information every single week so big thanks to you for turning into Real Estate Amigos today. We appreciate you. Um, we're going to put up the show notes so that you can definitely find out um, how, to, how to find us. And uh, we'll see you next time. Until next time, the Real Estate Amigos are turning dreams into keys. Sounds good. <laughs>